you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to today's podcast. For those of you that are regular listeners of this podcast, thank you for joining me again. If you want to connect outside of the podcast, I'd love you to say hi over on LinkedIn. Uh, tell me, share with me the podcast that you've enjoyed the most and maybe share some ideas of people that you would love me to invite onto this podcast. And if you want to join my community over on Facebook, I have a private uh, community group over there called the Be Brilliant Networking Lounge, an opportunity for executives, leaders, opinion makers to connect, to share and to ultimately collectively uh, draw on each other's wisdom to help us all unleash our brilliance. For those of you that are new to this podcast, this is uh, my opportunity to bring to you the people that I admire, the people that have inspired me over the years, the people that I know, because I know that there are incredible stories, uh, musings, insights, and thoughts that they have around not only how they identified their own brilliance, but how we can all become better tomorrow than we are today. During this podcast, I uh, ask successful individuals, when was the moment that they unlocked their brilliance? Where did they find it? What was that watershed moment? I want to uncover what drives them through the good and the not so good times. And most importantly, I want to hear their backstory. I want to hear the real truth, the real thinking, the uh, the the real guts of what got them from where they were at to where it is that they are today. And today's guest is no exception. Today, I'm chatting to uh, an incredible global leader, uh, a leader that has significant experience working at a very senior level across multiple countries. Um, Today, I'm chatting to Karen Fainridge. And Karen is, as I said, a global leader that has significant experience. She is now a keynote speaker, an advisor, and a leadership champion um, that is passionate about influencing uh, in the community. She is a board advisor. She's all about the execution of business and growth strategy and maximizing leadership, excellence, and stakeholder engagement. She's gained a depth of specialist expertise as a member of global executive teams and global talent development and DNI advisory boards. She's represented the APAC region to set the agenda globally for thought leadership in business growth, in talent, in governance, in future of work, and in change initiatives. And as I said, she's worked across the world, um, having accountability for Australia, New Zealand, China, Hong Kong, Korea, Singapore, to name but a few. She now is a keynote speaker, an executive leader, a coach, and an ambassador for many areas of work. And it's an absolute joy to bring her to your ears today. What 
uh, I love about Karen is her ethos. Um, if you were to find her on LinkedIn, she openly puts on her profile her ethos as this. She says it's about dwelling in possibility. It's about creative foresight, listening to connect, courageous adventures, a spirit of grace, compassion, and fortitude. So with that, let me introduce to you the amazing Karen Feindrich, and let's listen from her firsthand how she unleashed her leadership brilliance and the journey to that, and most importantly, a conversation around the biggest challenges that she sees and opportunities heading our way, and what each of us have to do in the spirit of leadership to ensure that we bring more trust and humility to everything that we do. Please enjoy. Well, I am super excited to be chatting uh, with you, Karen, this morning. We first met virtually a few months ago, and since then I've been following your journey. I love what you've achieved in your career, and so it's super exciting to bring your story to our audience. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Janine. It's great to be here. It's lovely to have you here. So the first thing I usually do is a couple of quick fire questions, more so that the uh, the people listening in to can quickly get to know you and uh, not necessarily, you know, that standard bio stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, find out a little bit more about you. So my first question always, because we are an international podcast and there's people listening from all over the world, um, is, is where are you from, Karen? I'm a Melbourne girl, Australia, Melbourne, through and through. Whilst I've certainly expatted overseas in Hong Kong, I'm a Melbourne girl. Love it. Love the city. Love the city. So Melbourne, but with a whole heap of global experience, which we are going to learn from today. Can you remember what your very first job was? I do. I was an aerobics instructor at a health fitness centre. Yes, indeed. Every morning. I started at 6 in the morning finished at 12 and then returned and worked, uh, I think, from 4 then till 8. So I had this split shift. I was very fit. (laughs) Well, that explains why you were able to uh, keep going and performing at such a high level for for so long. Were you, were you, um, did you wear the, um, the fluoro aerobics gear with the leg warmers, Karen, or were you? No, absolutely. (laughs) I was the penultimate fashion statement, my mother was a, a brilliant dressmaker and she made my leotards and they were absolutely dazzling, absolutely dazzling. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> I loved it. My favourite was step. I became an absolute mm. addict on step aerobics and yeah. I think it was that combination of the choreography and having to learn the choreography along with the challenge of not falling mm. over those damn things. Yes, <laughs> Great fun. fun. It's a great way to stay fit and exercise. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Now, um, I always ask because I'm constantly looking for uh, opportunities to learn and discover new uh, elements of awesomeness from people. Mm. Is there a specific um, a book or TED Talk or even podcast that has really stayed with you? P- potentially it's something that you pass on to other people or you always tell other people to read, to listen, to watch. Is there one thing that springs to mind? The book Thrive uh, and yeah. the book Outliers, both, I of, love those. both of those, I those. love them. And way, way back, although I mightn't say now, way back, you know, back in the aerobics days of my early career, Anthony Robbins' book Unlimited Powers, 
I absolutely, I literally summarized every chapter and turned it into a presentation for my team every month. It was one of the most inspiring books in my very, very early years. And when I moved into a a supervisor role, Coaching for Improved Performance, I kind of remember the author. I still have the book and it was given to me by Jenny Craig herself. No way. Yeah, with a, wow. to, a, to an amazing young woman, you know, Jenny yeah. Craig, because I worked for her and yeah. I've never forgotten her. So she was talking about the idea and the premise of coaching and mentoring way, way before it became even fashionable. This is in my late 20s. Yeah. Talking years and years ago, I'm afraid to say. And when you think about that conversation and that moment that stays with you, Karen, what is there one thing particular that you remember from her or something she said or what, what was it about coaching and mentoring that was so important from her perspective that you remember? She was an advocate for giving young women opportunities in the workforce. We're talking a long time ago where it was even more difficult. And I remember once sitting with her and, and saying to her, oh, gosh, sometimes, you know, I just get really stressed. I get really stressed. So, and I can't help that. And she turned to me and she said, yes, you can. How you choose to respond to an occasion or a situation is entirely up to you. And she said, it's not that there is a work that needs to be done to get to that point where you have more control and you are managing that and you're more empowered within that moment, but you absolutely can. And it was a defining moment for me because, you know, I'm an A-type personality. I'm highly strung. And in my oh. earlier years, managing that was difficult. Now, I've mastered that now, but it took a lot of work and a lot of focus. And that was one of the defining moments where I stopped and thought, she's right. I have more control over myself and what, what I do and how I respond than I realise Wow. Has, I was and has 28 that stayed, years old when she said that to me. I really remember it. Wow. Mm. And it has, is there a moment that you can remember specifically over your career where you've pulled on that? Is there a moment where you found yourself going into the negative and remembering that moment and going, actually, I've got control here? Mm. Well, there, there has been a lot. But the one that was most significant because the scale of the shift and the transition is when I move from Melbourne to Hong Kong in that role because I had four weeks, you know, the the organisation I was with was acquired by a global competitor. I was of the view that I'd therefore be out of a role as a member of the executive team. They already had one. Um, but to my delight, I was selected. So a, a new executive team was brought together and I was selected to stay in that CEO for Asia, but only on the provision I moved from Melbourne to Hong Kong. I had four weeks and I, 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 my whole life, you know, my son moved back with his father, I, my cat went with my partner. I mean, it was just an extraordinary oh, wow. shift. And I arrived mm-hmm. four weeks later with three suitcases and I've been travelling through Asia and globally forever, but arriving to live there without any of your family or friends it was a very different experience. And then the task of of integrating two enormous global brands across 12 countries. There were more than one occasion, Janine, where I had moments of feeling completely exhausted and overwhelmed. And I had to remind myself in that moment of those words, you you can find a way to manage this week, this day, this afternoon. And I do it. it. It comes to me, it came to me often. It was an enormous 18 months to get through that integration process. I love that. You can always find a way. Love it. So, Karen, you're, uh, we'll, we'll come on to um, what it is 
that you have done throughout your career, but essentially you've got a significant amount of global experience, multiple CEO roles and advisory board roles. So you've yeah. uh, really uh, built a solid corporate career from that uh, first early days of aerobics teaching yes. to yes. what it is that you do now. But if, <laughs> if you think about, um, you know, your childhood in Melbourne and the community yes. In which you grew up, how do you think that shaped the person that you've become? Mm. With that being cliche, obviously my parents, and I'll give some detail to that. We grew up in a family where not only did we feel supported, we didn't have a lot of money, so we were very resourceful. And I, when I reflect, I look at how hard my parents worked to make sure that all four of their children got to participate in all sorts of sports. And sports are expensive. If you're not buying uniforms, you're buying you know, baseball gloves, you've got to make sure they've got a tennis racket. We did everything. We played netball, softball, uh, calisthenics. And as we um, moved into our senior New year so high school I started racing motocross that was a terribly expensive sport Um, and I did that with my brother so as children we spent our if we weren't in school we were involved in team sports collaborative team sports but they were competitive so from a very early age um, I had this tenacity around whatever it is I was doing I wanted to do it well because I liked it to win and I learnt what it felt like to win. I learnt what it felt like not to win. I learnt what it felt like to almost win, but you didn't because there was an accident or a slip up like you, you know, if I was racing the bike, I'd hit something correctly and I fell off the bike and I needed, you know, I had that in the bag. I, I learnt what that felt like. I learnt humility. There were my frustrations. There were tears. There were injuries. And all four of us as children had those experiences right from right from where go. You know, at the age of five, I started, you know, my ballet, my tap lessons. And I can remember that after the first end of that year when you have your concert, um, I came second in the end of year concert. I'm five years old um, and I was beaten by a boy. And I was so unhappy about that, I never went back. I find that a fascinating thing that I did. And I think back to how my mother must have viewed that at such a young age. I don't want to do tap or ballet anymore. And it took some years before I returned. So I've got a strong dance background. But I thought to myself, what a strange, what a strange incident for a five-year-old. And I think my parents never pushed me. I think back to that. I never went back. It wasn't like you have to go back. So I learned along the way um, to be graceful. And to understand that you don't always win and that you actually don't need to win to take joy from what you're involved with. And that was my lesson as I matured and had those experiences through life. It was worth absolutely being your best. And if you were being your best and it didn't mean you won, you could still feel fantastic about it. Mm, mm. I love that whole thinking around you don't need to win to take joy from what you're involved in. Yep. How do you reckon that plays out from what you've seen during your leadership experience amongst teams? Because mm. it's it, there's, there's a, a wisdom and a subtlety in that, isn't there? Because work isn't always about joy. Um, no. Sometimes we have to do things that aren't joyful mm. and yet, you can take joy from it if you choose to see it, right? Absolutely. And, and joy can also be wrapped up in, in purpose and meaning. So mm. sometimes if you're participating, you know, I've come up from a, a career history where I've done a lot of work on site through significant restructures. Now, that's a highly emotive environment. 
We've got people being impacted and losing their jobs, people being, you know, notified that although you've been terrific for the last 10 years with us, we no longer require your services. I mean, that's that's a devastating moment. Um, And working in that isn't joyful. However, there's a, a distinct purpose to what you're doing and you're actually doing something very, very important. And if you do it well, you can be the difference between how someone recovers and the, the pace in which they manage a change event that's so emotional and so personal for them. That's where you take meaning. And I've always been one, as I've evolved, to not so much chase happiness because I think happiness can be fleeting. You jump online to buy something, you feel happy. It arrives, that's exciting. But then it's, you know, I chase meaning because I think meaning is more sustainable and I think through meaning, that those moments of joy or happiness just become more permanent. It's more mm. consistent. Um, so that that's just been my take on it, you know, because bringing people and recruiting people um, into an environment of restructuring and change management is is difficult because it's hard work. You can go home at the end of the day and you can feel pretty wretched. So you mm. have to find a way to say there's real purpose in what I do and I take joy from that. Can you remember a watershed moment or something that happened, Karen, that got you to that point of going, this isn't about chasing the win, it is about pursuing the meaning. When mm. when did that, that penny drop for you? It actually, when, my late teenage years, my right. late teenage years, you know. Well, lucky you that it yeah, was late teenage years. Many of us are still trying to find it. Well, it's because <laughs> we were, as a family, we were we were focused and we were all competing in sports at a high level by then. My mm. sister was doing gymnastics and travelling, you know, to places like Germany and being invited to join the Australian Institute, even though she chose not to go because she was too young. We were competing um, at whatever sport or area we focused on at very high levels and we were, we were, we were winning and, and achieving and learning and growing from that and, you know, we all had a sense of meaning and the meaning was that we dedicated to what we did to do it well and whether that meant we were going to be uh, better or more equipped than the other person became not so important. It was like you go out there and you shape what your journey is as I've always been big on what is the human experience. If you focus on what is the actual experience, if I was ever disappointed or frustrated or cross, it's because I was doing something where I knew I had not shown up well. I had not been the best at what I could do. And when I build teams, I make it about that. What I expect is that you bring your very best self every day to the workplace or to an activity or to a sport or to whatever it is you're doing. And that's been my philosophy. There's real joy. There's real purpose. And, you know, my later years, um, I had moments where I would come in third overall at a huge weekend race meet and still feel, feel good about it, whereas five years prior to that, unless I came first, I didn't feel good. So I learned that you don't have to come first. And I just, it really wasn't, and in the moment, in that happening day, it was, was an evolution of my maturity across those years of competing and, and feeling things differently. Yeah. And over the years, as, as you've touched on, you've had a significant amount of leadership experience mm-hmm. uh, globally, Australia, mm-hmm. New Zealand, China, Hong Kong, Korea, Singapore, mm-hmm. um, and across 
you know, those, uh, I'm imagining the challenges, the teams, the people, mm. the diversity, all of it has shaped the leader that you became and have become and obviously the work that you're doing now. Um, thinking about that experience as a, you know, global CEO with mm. with a huge depth and diverse experience, what, what are some of the things that you learnt about yourself during that process in terms of what leadership actually is? Mm. So I, I learned that what one, and certainly my philosophy, is that you, you want to play the long game. Mm. And working across so many different countries, the cultural nuances and the distinctions there are enormous. And just when you think you've mastered it, there's something else that comes to light. I mean, they, you know, their view on leadership, how they receive information, how they share information. It's so different from, you know, Australia versus Japan is a really distinction. You know, in Japan, they, it's all about what they infer when they speak to you about something. It's never direct. Australians are just direct. I don't like that. You know, so the, the nuances are extraordinary. So you're trying to build a business, you're trying to recruit and lead a team. You're trying to manage external stakeholder expectations and, and build and design HR solutions for environments where they're distinctively different. And I've learned that, I mean, talk about trust and humility. They're the first words that come to mind. Firstly, establishing trust in those environments is your first priority. In the absence of that, there is nothing left to be done. There's no space for you. Mm-hmm. And humility because I'm always surprised and and it's remarkable that individuals bring so much to the table if you just pause and give them time to do that. Because in in you know in, in Eastern countries there's there's a modesty and and a reservedness about how they show up. And you've got to allow time and space for that. And if you don't, you don't get the best out of them. And when you do actually allow them to hold space with it, it's incredible how you know how creative every everyone is and what they bring so i play the long game it takes time and and staying focused on the ultimate objective and i've i learned very quickly through all the dynamics of culture that you you can hold opposing ideas without necessarily having to immediately reconcile with them you don't have to in that moment go well let's agree it needs to be this and there's real value in choosing several really good solutions to a problem and sort of experimenting with them because I found that when you do that, the best way forward starts to naturally rise to the surface and everyone becomes clear with it. So just don't rush it. If you're working across different geographies and cultures, sometimes it's best not to rush it, particularly if it's a, a strategic initiative which requires it to be something that, that really, you know, the rubber hits the ground and it's sustainable. And lead with kindness and positive intent. I sometimes just say, if you have to choose between being kind and being right, first up, choose kind. The rest will take care of itself. Because, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity when you work globally. There's always ambiguity playing out. So you've got to be able to navigate that. And it takes a real, I think, a delicate balance of being creative, Mm. managing your composure, and just taking multiple perspectives into consideration. 
There's, there's just so much in that. And I think, you know, that is why, you know, being able to chat to you and tap into your experience and wisdom is such a gift for people to hear. And I'm curious with that insight, when you consider, um, you know, where we're at in the world right now and the mm-hmm. challenges of leadership and the future of work, wh- what do you see from a leader perspective as being some of the most significant challenges that we are going to face as we navigate this current period of uncertainty and ambiguity? There are so many ways to answer that question. Mm. I will try to be succinct. Let me think. If we talk about the current situation, uh, we look at the issues of, of COVID. Not that I want to go on about it, but it's a reality right now and it's having an enormous impact on how we work and how people feel. And one of the things I recognised over the last year when I was, you know, leading my team was I talk about purpose and meaning allows us to really drive ourselves forward. And when you work remotely, whilst there's some pleasure in having quiet time and getting on with some of the tasks and, and things that need to be done, as human beings we need to connect And what I've noticed is that when you're in the office, those unexpected moments of connecting or learning from each other are taken from you. And slowly there's this sense of isolation that builds. And some people, and the more introverted types, don't even recognise it. So the long-term implications of that are is you end up with groups of people that slowly disengage from the workforce. They struggle every day to get through the day. And when people disengage, they lose their sense of creativity. And we know that in order to advance a business and meet any mandates of a business and and compete in the market, you need to be innovating. You need people to to bring that discretionary energy to the workplace, to what they do, to how they think, to their ideas. And I saw last year, it was the first thing that started to fall away. And with that falling away, managing and actually saying, I have high-performing teams doing remarkable things, it gets harder and harder. So that's a, I think that's the first challenge. That's a well-being issue. That's that's a you know with in the absence of that, there's lack of focus and there's la- there's lack of, of of structure. You know, discipline is is not easy for everyone, and everyone builds and draws from those around them. Even if you're not extroverted, you draw from what's going on around you, and those in the moment conversations that bore you that help redirect you, where you test an idea. That's the first thing. This whole idea of of how it's now a skills economy and the issues around that learning mindset, reskilling, upskilling, all of those those catchwords, they're still important words and they mean something. How do we take the old learning and development philosophy, which has now been recognised worldwide, is no longer in sync with the strategy of how to actually maintain the employability of the people within your business and then find the skills external to your business that will meet what you need. And because it's moving so fast, the large organisations are grappling with the actual long-term or even short-term development strategy, what are the skills we need to be effective now, they can really only see two years out because it's changing and moving that rapidly. You can't really predict long-term. There are some obvious evergreen skills and that's about collaboration. They're the interpersonal skills, entrepreneur and even intrapreneurship, mm-hmm. creativity, critical thinking, connecting issues, solving problems, they're the evergreen skills. But the future skills or the skills are now, which are 
more technical skills, um, digital transformation, all those things, um, organisations can't keep up. Our academic institutions are scrabbling to change their curriculum. Our higher education system is grappling to change their curriculum to meet with what needs now. That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. So the challenges are very real. Um, mm. And some people, and we were talking about this off air, that that it, it can seem incredibly daunting when the challenges are so very real. And one of the things I just want to bring it back to is something mm. you said right at the beginning where you said you can always find a way. Mm. You know, with that in mind, Karen, from your perspective, and again, picking on your experience, tapping into your experience, what do you see as the opportunities as this? What is the stuff that excites you when you look at where we're at and mm. where we're heading? One of the most exciting things for me, because I have an L&D background. So I, you know, I began you know, 20, 25 years ago in this industry as a facilitator. So, you know, through through Melbourne University, I did learning and development and education. So building and, and, and crafting learning is a passion. So all of a sudden, the idea of, of how we build a business and look at the strategy of growth, which is always a focus, growth, you know, innovation and growth, there's there's now an integrated recognition that that has to be coupled with a, a distinct and strategic learning strategy. So I'm very excited by that because there's always this, you know, this struggle like build a high-performing team and the minute there's an economic downturn or there's any concerns, the first thing to go is learning and development. We're not doing that anymore right now, whereas that's the first thing that should that should hold true. So it's now got a place at the executive table. I think it's got more visibility and CEOs and executives and line managers now recognising and acknowledging I need to pay attention to how my teams learn, how we grow and how we recognise that importance if we are going to have a human experience that translates into an extraordinary business outcome. And that's what I'm most excited about because I, you know, my background is coaching and and learning. I bring that to how I lead, so I love it. Mm. And and this leads me on to um, in your LinkedIn profile and your mm. um, banner, you write your ethos, mm. and you say your ethos is dwell in possibilities, mm-hmm. creative foresight, listen to mm. connect. Courageous adventures, I love that. Spirit of grace, love that. Compassion and fortitude. Mm. If you could sum up your ethos, you know, how how does that, the dwelling possibility, creative foresight, listen to connect, courageous adventures, spirit of grace, compassion and Mm. fortitude, how does that play out in how you live and lead? Mm. Well, there's a lot in there. So I've talked about um, uh, trust and humility, uh, and I know you know I talk a lot, and I've done a, a number of, or had a number of conversations lately around the issue of authenticity. Now I know that everyone loves to talk about that right now, and I simply say that unless you dig a really deep well and take a look at that, it's a cliche. So I find I start there. I've been starting there a lot. I've been talking to a lot of a lot of leaders lately. And I talk about the whole issue of authenticity and and how we unpack that so that that so it, it becomes something. Um, you know, um, I, I look at authenticity around and, and certainly for myself. So when I'm with myself, when I'm with my executive teams or when I'm with people in general that are looking around personal issues or professional issues, I, I tend to start there a lot. And all those other things around my ethos 
fall out from there. And to give it just some detail, I start with the whole issue of heart and mind. So I say to people, you know, you must have an emotional connection to what you do. So you've got to know your values. And then you've got to know your interests because, you know, you've got to have a certain desire and a genuine appetite for something. So that's about being real. And there's the aspect of personality. I mean, this really magnifies where you will and won't fit. And this is where I believe authenticity really can be drawn from. And then I talk about skills. I mean, you've got skills, so what are they? What do you enjoy doing? And as you dwell in possibilities, as you become tenacious about what what do I want my next step to look like, you need to make sure that as you go along strategically, you're building you're building out the gaps, you're learning new things. So there's a, a an opportunity for fulfillment and success. So I start there, and then I say to people, you must be intentional. And I know that you talk to that, and it will be brilliant. I look at it by looking back in order to look forward. So I'm all about bring the wisdom of hindsight into the spotlight and do things, activities to gain insight and support the design of whatever you want your future to look like. And then I say you need to be engaged and I look at that, your career, in your life. They're important. You know, people say it's just a job. You know, I I have a real adverse reaction to that. It's not. It should never be just a job. You know, we spend a lot of time in our professional endeavours. It's important to us. It's personal. And we've got an emotional and intellectual connection to it. So take a more holistic look. What is your pathway? What do you want to surround yourself with? And um, you talk about the ingredients of a powerful network in your book. It's who you know. I loved the three. You use three distinct approaches to the network. You, You use the terms board of advisors, intelligence bank, and marketing machine. I want to raise that now because I looked at that and I thought I I build I, I build so your board of advisors about bringing out the you know be with people bring the best out in you and I've done that and your intelligence bank is around well what sustains you over the long term that's about learning it's about growing it's about creativity it's about personal time and you talk about the word marketing machine you talk about championing that's about being strategic about those around you and who you you stakeholder relationships and who you sponsor and who sponsors you. These things need to be reciprocal. And that's, you know, that's that, you know, really engaging your career in your life. So I loved your terminology then. It really resonated with me. And then there's about being persistent. I mean, what's your direction? And I talk about embracing possibility. And, you know, I think be bold and at least explore things that don't seem so obvious to start with. And if you do that against the backdrop of the things I've just spoken about, you'll see that there, there is opportunity and you have a go. Um, and because I come from you don't always win and sometimes you farm that's okay, it's made me far more tenacious. And we all fail. I mean, we're flawed, aren't we, as humans? So there's mm. going to be failures. And really, finally, like just being courageous, bold steps. I say live your life out loud, you know, and I've been using that catchphrase in, in some of my posts, living life out loud. Um, and for leaders, I talk about, developing a leadership pathway and I say think about your critical leadership experiences because you need to understand what they are because they do shape who you are and how you show up Mm. and your experiences can be bad and positive and I get people like you did with me when we first chatted you start way back you do a do a, a a timeline and think right back to the experiences that you had that you can first remember that were positive and negative. It could be as a small child in the classroom or on the sports, you know, where 
we're choosing the netball teams. We've got our two captains. Now choose who you want on your team and you're the last one standing. You know, all those, it's a negative experience about leadership. So all the positive negative experiences and how has that impacted how you see and view yourself? Because they often become inhibitors if we allow those nerve experiences to collect without recognising there's actually a learning from that that grows us and moves us forward. So, you know, that's, you know, when I meet with people, I coach, I talk about it like that, you know, and that allows us to be visible and to be heard. Mm, so much deliciousness in that, Karen. <laughs> yeah. So much deliciousness. Um, you mentioned there, because um, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this going, yes, 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 and then almost vomit in mouth. Like, oh, but I'm too scared <laughs> to do it. So I've got two two questions for you on the back of what you've just said and all that deliciousness. And the first mm-hmm. one is, you know, it, we often present um, all this positive and people look at ours. I, you know, I look at your resume and it's mm-hmm. inspiring, it's motivating, it's, you know, wonderful to see a female executive achieving what you've achieved on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we always see is the, the, the bright, shiny stuff and the huge accomplishments. But you mentioned in, in what you just said how we all have failures, we all have stuff mm. that, um, that doesn't go to plan. So I'm curious, are you, do you have a favourite failure that you're willing, willing to share with our audience <laughs> in terms of what is your favourite failure and what did you learn from that? Look, I, I want to go way back. I mean, I've had some significant failures along the way. Don't worry about that. And um, and you, you recover from them. But in terms of when I was young and I'd moved into, I was with, you know, this is way back with Jenny Craig, and I was recruiting weight loss counsellors. And it wasn't a significant failure in terms of the scale of how it impacted the business because it was dealt with quickly. But for some reason, I, I share it a lot when people ask me this question. And I recruited two individuals. But in hindsight, I look for quickly with the most appalling choices to make based on the industry and what we were, to, what we were endeavouring to do and the, and, and the role they were stepping into. And I realised I did it out of trying to do the right thing and being over-empathetic. So there was a very, there was a, a critical learning for me because I was new into leading and having a more senior responsible role. And in these two instances, I failed abysmally at doing that because I allowed my emotional needs to outweigh the correct business decision. I recruited two individuals to be weight loss counsellors. One was an alcoholic and the other one was anorexic. It's almost comical when you think about it. And I thought to myself at the time, what a great opportunity to give this individual that has this devastating eating disorder, because it is devastating, an opportunity to sit and work with people who are trying to you know, be, be better and, and look after their health. What a great idea that was. And the other one was someone who was admitted to being an alcoholic and was working very hard, you know, to find purpose. And do, I thought, well, let me give you some purpose. Well, of course, you know, within weeks it was an absolute nightmare and I, I had to exit those people, which was also devastating for me at the time and difficult. But it was a, it was a profound learning and there's been learnings along the way that consolidated that, that, that bringing empathy and compassion to everything we do is important and that's about listening to connect. And that's about humility. At the same time, as we become a leader, our agenda needs to be greater than that. And we have a greater responsibility to the business. And we have to balance decisions more strategically. And 
I've shared that a lot with people with the vast, you know, learnings, failures, weaknesses, things like that. But it was a it was a turning moment for me, and I've laughed about it a lot since because it really they really were ridiculous choices. And I should have seen it in the moment, and I didn't. And <laughs> I, I love the fact that there's the joy, right? We look at the time; it feels horrendous. Oh. You want the world to swallow you up, oh, but so uh, when you look back. <laughs> Um, now, there was something that um, came into my world via social media last week, and I'd love mm-hmm. your thoughts on it. Um, it is an article that talks about the daily habits of female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they list in this article, the article's been published through the UK by dojo.com UK. Mm-hmm. And the habits from Anna Winter, Ariana mm-hmm. Huffington, through to Oprah, Sarah Blakely, who else have we got on here? Cheryl Sambo, Tracy Spicer, Vera Wong, etc. Are fascinating to say mm-hmm. the least. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just when you've read, you mentioned your the Ariana's book Thrive earlier and the importance mm-hmm. of sleep. Um, You also mentioned off air of getting up at the crack of dawn to go on calls. So I have no doubt that you've learned a lot over your experience in terms of what works and doesn't work, albeit from your perspective. But if you could advise um, people that are listening in that are absolutely climbing that corporate ladder or Mm. stepping into higher levels of leadership, um, what are some of the habits that you wish someone had told you to maintain during your career that, you know, looking back now, you didn't? That's a, a tough question because I've, I've been very diligent around those things. Um Obviously, I maybe share what you do. Maybe share what you do then that works, Karen. Okay, because firstly, I pulled away from all my team sports, and in reflection, that still needed to be done Mm. because of the way I travelled and the hours. So I became an unreliable individual. So, well, I'll be part of a you know your the tennis. So I pulled away. So I found. So what I did though is. Uh, I found individual ways to maintain health and fitness. I believe, you know, if I look back at the way I've worked and the hours I've worked, I would travel into a diff- I would travel from Hong Kong into New York for a three day strategic executive team meeting and be working at the complete opposite of my time zone. And I would get up and we'd go from eight till six and then there'd be the dinner. We'd go to bed at one, we'd get up eight and I'd go and I'd, I would bring of myself and I'd be awake and I'd be, you know, absolutely engaged. And I, I often reflect on how people say, how do you manage to do that? And I maintained a, a social life and I, I, I maintain my level of physical activity. For me, it's always been about health and well-being. It starts there. So I was fortunate that as I rolled into my professional career, I arrived as a fit, healthy individual. That was my background. I was, you know, I'd always eaten well. I was not a big drinker. I was not a smoker. I was not taking in coffee and so forth. And, you know, as life evolves I take all the joys from from life as it is and I will sit down and enjoy a great G&T and, and bottle of red when I'm out to dinner but as a general thumb I'm very very clear about how much sugar how much alcohol and how much caffeine I will take into my system and I'm very very clear about how I exercise and move so if I look at last year um, just I think last year is a great example because I found myself in lockdown and I found myself you know confound to a small room um, 
leading at a CEO level a business with all my team in lockdown. And I would get up at quarter, I'd be at the driving range at 7 a.m. And in winter, it was still a bit dark, so I'd see the crack of light come through those clouds. And I would drive 100 balls down that driving range. And I'd be back at my desk by 8.30 feeling remarkable. I'd been where I could smell green. I'd swing and move. I'm, I'm focused and practicing and learning a technique. So I'm challenging myself. I'm connecting with the others that are there. And by 8.30, I'd have my favorite coffee every morning, my French press coffee, and my day would start. And I would be focused. And around 5, 5.30, depending whether you know, light was burning, I'd go for what I would call my walk. Or sometimes it would be my run. So it depended on the day I had whether I knew I needed to really expel unhealthy cortisol and noradrenaline out of my system because you're not moving much when you're sitting at a desk in a small room. And I knew that in the absence of doing that, I would not sleep well. And you get into that really unhealthy cycle. You know, I won't drink coffee after 12. I will not drink alcohol as a general thumb on the week on my own because I know that it impacts my whole system and it's a cascading system and a, a negative spiral down where then as an individual you continue to struggle and being your very best is just harder every day. So I'm really focused on that. I'm very, very diligent. Um, I had the online Pilates and I found that fantastic for stretching and building core strength. And, you know, if I took a, a midday break, I would do that. And I built structures for my team around all of our Zoom calls. There were no Zoom calls allowed to be scheduled between 12 and 2. We could not be on a Zoom call before 10, and a, a Zoom call must not begin that, that concluded after 5. It wasn't mean, It didn't mean you didn't work thereafter, but the whole idea of being connected to, to that blue light, which people don't realise is, is drains and takes a lot from you. So it's about that balance. So I've always been, you know, working with Jenny Craig, I did, um, I did a certificate in, in anatomy and exercise physiology and I looked at nutrition. And I'm not saying it's my wheelhouse, but I developed a, a very keen interest in gut health and I see the impact. I call it the rushing woman syndrome. I mm. see it in people. It's madness. It's not, it's not structured. It's not meaningful. And not, it's not measured. You know, when you extend energy, make sure you're doing it in a way that actually gives you an outcome. Do things that matter. It, participate in change that matters. So I also look at when I get myself involved with things, I look at how it matters if it's a business issue. And I look at unintended consequences for anything long-term. And if it's a personal thing and I, I see a long-term consequence that doesn't fit or sit with me, I will abandon it. Mm, I love all of that. You've talked about some um, some wonderful things there from boundary setting yes. and the ownership around boundary setting, mm. um, the ability or the the, the intentionality around connection mm. um, you talked about connecting to your body connecting with other people connecting to what's actually going on and yeah. um, also and you've mentioned this a couple of times that space that space to not rush that space mm. to be uh, that space to create ideas and innovate um, Karen there's just so much that you have gifted uh, to us today I'm curious who who influences you Mm. Um, well, up until, you know, my mother passed four years ago now and she was an extraordinary influence. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I want to thank my mother. But, uh, and my father was terrific. I mean, he 
every weekend drove me to various locations to race motocross. I mean, you know, after a bit. My mother came from, she wrote her uh, a rough memoir, which I had published after her passing, which gave me incredible insight into her, things that I actually didn't realise, but explained and answered and gave context to the sort of woman she was. She was incredibly tenacious. She didn't have a lot. She lost her mother when she was 14 to cancer, you know, way back in the days where there wasn't much anyway. And, you know, to put, you know, putting lard on your bread was a, was a, a joy, you know, they didn't have butter. So she came from a very, very tough background. And she was a woman that was very vibrant and had loads of wonderful friends and always looked fabulous and had very little. She was so clever and so resourceful. I used to follow that lead. I found her inspiring. My father was very introverted, so I had a deep love for him and a deep respect for him. But he wasn't an inspiring individual, but he was. He made me feel safe and loved and supported. My mother was quite inspiring. She was very loud. She was very giving, and she was also very, very clear. She was just really street smart, and um, I was always inspired by her. And I worked very hard. I'll be honest, you know, to make sure that she was proud of me and, and all the way you know saw that I was doing good work and doing things well it was important to me so you know she has inspired me along the way I've worked with some extraordinary colleagues that have really sponsored me like you know members of the executive team that that have really you know you know I would often sit at that executive team table and be one of two females in the three you know navigating those environments has has been tough I've learned a lot and there's always been um you know, a sponsor in there or a few sponsors in there that have guided and supported me. And I've been very lucky to have some extraordinary male executives who have given me great opportunities. You know, I look at the opportunity presented to me by Peter Elside, you know, when he appointed me into that CEO role for Lee Hick Harrison. Didn't know me very well. Um, he gave me an opportunity to expat. He supported me. And those learnings and that experience on a personal and professional level were profound and no other experience matches that mm. Mm. thank goodness he gave you that yeah. opportunity your mm. mother sounds like a wonderful human being and what a wonderful gift to take that time to write her memoirs to gift on to you to help you understand more about you. That's such an amazing gift. Karen, it's it's just been so fabulous to listen to you and to have you with such generosity share so much. Um, this, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. If you could sum up what that means for you, for our listeners, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you? Okay. Uh... Unleashing brilliance is, is about owning and shaping your own human experience every day, making a, a decision to how you want to shop, what that feels like. And the best way to do that is to, I say, surround yourself with the best people you can't afford if you're building a professional team, um, having the humility and the maturity to know that you will not always be the most intelligent person in the room the most creative and you should actually be delighted when that occurs and that you should you know it's a community you cannot go it alone so if you want to unleash your brilliance surround yourself by people who bring something 
and give of yourself to those same people and and think about your community. Um, give back into community where you can because there's something really um, joyous about doing that. You know, find what makes your heart, heart sing and, and just simply make it your life's work, no matter what that is. I love it. I love mm. it. Karen, if, if I could somehow magically bring your mum onto this podcast right now, what would you say to her? I would thank her because she wrote a letter to me um, that she gave me to open. She said, open this in about five years' time. Um, and I did because as a, as a highly strung, competitive young girl, you know, I carried all the normal anxieties one does going through adolescence and all those things. And I, I had concerns about whether I could ever really be anything professionally. I was so caught up in what is sport and what is that and how do you take what you've done. And I was anxious about that. And she saw me then, you know, go in and start working and, and, and become what I was slowly and surely. She wrote a note to me about um, reflecting on how far I'd come and reminded me of the anxieties I had as a reminder that, that you know, with those anxieties, uh, you can still evolve and be extraordinary. And she wrote about how proud she was of me. And I can't tell you how how much that note meant to me once she passed because she gave it to me when I was probably, I think, rolling into my 40s because mm. I'd done a great deal from my 20s to my 40s. And she wrote about how extraordinary it was. And I would thank her for, for having this unrelentless belief in me. It was unrelent- It was unshakable. Her belief in me. And her confidence in me as a person was absolutely unshakable. That, you know, the depth of that was extraordinary and I would thank her for that. What an incredible woman. What mm. an incredible woman. Karen, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today. Um, if any of our listeners would love to contact you, what is the best way that they can find you? If they go to LinkedIn, there's my Gmail email address in there. There's my mobile number, but send me an email or send me a note via LinkedIn. I'll always get back to them. I'd love to hear from anybody. Thank you so much. Once again, your generosity has been just incredible and it's been a absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And I know that um, all of those insights from the very beginning where you talked about you can always find a way through to that conversation around the trust and humility being such a critical part of leadership and that conversation around, you know, your habits and what you've learned from other people is such an incredible gift. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Janine. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.